Hello and welcome to the Heart Podcast. My name is James Rudd, the Digital Media Editor at Heart and a consultant cardiologist from Cambridge. Today on the podcast, I have an excellent chat with Dr. Stephen Wang from the University of Nottingham. Stephen has published, along with his co-authors from the same university, a paper all about the response to statins in terms of cholesterol lowering and also what happens if the cholesterol does not meet the current NICE target of a 40% reduction. Uh, This paper is open access. It's called Suboptimal Cholesterol Response to Initiation of Statins and Future Risk of Cardiovascular Disease. And we talk a lot about the methods that uh, Stephen and his team used to to gather this data, uh, what he found in detail, and also what it might mean uh, for uh, GPs and people in primary and secondary care when their patients don't respond to statins, uh, why they may not be responding, and what we can do about it. We have an excellent chat, including some discussion about uh, epidemiology and statistics, and we get quite deep into the statistical side of things. So if you need a refresher, it might be useful to read the paper first and then come back to this podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Can I ask you to introduce yourself for the podcast audience, tell people where you work and what you do? Yes, so um, I'm uh, Stephen Wang. I'm an assistant professor in epidemiology and data science. Um, I work at the University of Nottingham. I am uh, have a life sciences background, but uh, also um, trained in applied epidemiology and uh, data science uh, a bit uh, in my uh, postdoc career. Um, currently, I'm leading the primary care stratified medicine uh, data science research group. So we use a lot of large uh, GP records, electronic health records, biobanks, um, and a lot of my work is in the cardiovascular space in managing lipids, uh, lipid disorders, uh, lipid therapies, uh, and uh, identification of um, um, inherited uh, genetic disorders as well uh, for lipids. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast. And the reason I wanted to talk to you was a, a really interesting and very very well received paper that you and your co-authors from the University of Nottingham have published, which is called a suboptimal cholesterol response to the initiation of statins and the future risk of cardiovascular disease. And this is an open access paper, so everybody can follow the link in the show notes to go and check it out. But Stephen, perhaps you can start off by telling us the, the rationale for, for uh, this area of research. Yeah, th- thanks, James, for ha- having me today. Um, it's uh, quite a good opportunity to be on this uh, podcast. I've been listening to it, uh, your podcast before, and they're they're absolutely brilliant. So the the motivation for our um, our study, actually, you, you probably a lot of our the listeners will be aware of the larger backdrop of how interesting statins are in the general population as a research arena. But actually, that's not the motivation why uh, I conducted it. Um, I've been working in um, the space of lipid disorders for a while now, especially in primary care. And we do, from my earlier work, it was more in the inherited um, space. So we're looking at familial hypercholesterolemia and such. And I've developed some prognostic models previously to help case finding for GPs because we know this area is a very highly underdiagnosed area. And one of the things in the research has come out is, you know, the follow-on treatment for people with, you know, besides FH or uh, familial hypercholesterolemia or uh, just general high cholesterol um, is management with statins. And this uh, this area 
created a lot of interest when I was talking to BHF and uh, Public Health England, British Heart Foundation. Um, and they were interested in funding some work around and implementation work around how we get GPs to better manage the, their cholesterols, um, cholesterol levels in people with high risk of cardiovascular disease. And this is in primary prevention, so this is in general practice. Right? Okay, so these are people and, who, in the study, who've had no cardiovascular events. That's right. Primary yeah. prevention cohort from yeah. UK general practice population. That's right. That's right. And and the 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 concept for it, the rationale, was mainly due to the fact that you know we wanted to look at improving the, you know, the, a lot of these organizations wanted to look at developing ways we can improve management. But the fundamental question that was asked that I had was, what is the scale of the issue here? So, so that's, that's what really prompted the research is to say, look, um, if we have, you know, large general practice records from um, the UK population, which is a fantastic resource across uh, the NHS uh, clinical practice research data link, we can actually observe this. We can take a look at, you know, mm. what is the scale of the issue and what it means for future outcomes uh, so, before we start to think about the solutions in a, in a, in a sense. So what uh, what did you do? What, what population did you study and, and what were you measuring? So what we looked at is, uh, so we since we have all the records of a lot of the uh, patients in these um, 681 general practices in this study, we were able to then you know, retrospectively take a look at when they were prescribed their first statin, you know, initiated on this, um, on uh, lipid lowering therapy. And what we then did is, you know, there's a, there's clearly an indication there because you, you, GPs are not prescribing statins for no reason. There, there's some vascular risks uh, in there. There's high cholesterol perhaps um, in, or there's a family history or type two diabetes, for instance. And we, we followed these individuals up um, over, you know, this is an open cohort design, so you know, people could enter and leave as they chose um, during the study period. Um, and we had about 165,000 um, individuals uh, that we were eligible for, um, for, for the study, and that's after um, removing people that had a pre-existing event because we were, we were really interested in this primary prevention um, cohort. And they had to have um, a treatment, uh, a cholesterol measured before they were initiated and some cholesterol measurements after. Uh, and then we looked at this observed difference in, in drop. And we applied a, um, a guideline criteria, a target for primary prevention. This is NICE um, guidelines. So they suggest a 40% reduction in baseline uh, non-HDL. But we use LDL because it's non-HDL is more recent, uh, recent uh, uh, measurement that's only cropped up in some of the general practice records more recently. But previously, LDL has been more commonly used. And we classified individuals into two groups, people that were uh, suboptimal responders and people that were um, achieving those targets. So looking to achieve a, a drop in, let's say, LDL cholesterol of... 40% or more and you had so you more. had two groups the people that achieved that after two years and then the people that didn't achieve it right that's right yeah and that was the first interesting finding because when we <clears throat> split the uh, groups up it was roughly half and half so 50% of um, um, achieving those targets and 50% weren't <clears throat> which actually we always knew that if you think about 
uh, the trial evidence uh, that's been generated in Oxford in the CTT collaborations. Um, we, we always knew from multiple areas that real world, to keep the fidelity of those trial interventions in the real world, it's not going to be 100%, right? But we didn't realize that it'd actually be one in two. So that was the first interesting finding. And then after we then subsequently looked at um, looked at the follow-up of, of these patients over the next, around the median duration was about, I think in the study was about uh, 6.7, seven years follow-up afterwards. And roughly, there are about, uh, we had about, um, in one, one group, um, we had, I'm looking at the incidence rates at the moment, uh, 12,000 cases in, of um, a combined kind of composite, cardiovascular composite outcome. So we're looking at uh, CHD, cardio- coronary heart disease, which includes MI. Uh, we're looking at stroke, TIA, transient ischemic attacks, the, uh, when we're all looking at peripheral vascular disease and cardiovascular death. So that's a combined um, outcome. And there's about 12,142 in the suboptimal groups and, and 10,656 in the optimal responders. Around a 20% increase in risk of events. It, it sort of, you neatly summarize that in the abstract. That, that's right. So it's, a, it's about uh, 22% uh, for, after adjusting for age and baseline LDLC. So, um, and and that held true if we apply a competing risk model as well. So one of the things is in epidemiology is uh, there's other events um, that a competing event is something that uh, either modifies the chance of the event happening uh, that you're interested in. So when we looked at some of the other competing events, um, saying things like death, other cardiovascular events um, in those subgroup analysis, we still found that relationship to be true, although a little bit less elevated um, in the all the um, in all the major cardiovascular outcomes. Okay, and you you talk in the paper about some reasons. If we take the first part of the study uh, and talk about that for a little bit, the fact that only about half of the people prescribed a statin uh, according to the nice guidelines actually reached the target of a forty percent reduction in uh, LDL cholesterol. Um, the reasons for that you mentioned are things obvious ones like the patients not taking the tablets but also some biological and genetic variability in uh, response of LDL to these drugs Um, so you come up with a couple of reasons there and of course as you might predict the people who didn't achieve uh, the target LDL levels had a significantly higher risk of future events over the the six years uh, in the future and this competing risk thing is is interesting isn't it because I think a lot of studies so far haven't uh, being able to work around competing risks, certainly in cardiovascular studies that I'm aware of, it's not often corrected for. No, that's right, and I'll, I'll kind of take the last part first, and then we'll get back to the uh, first questions. Um, yeah, I think it's important because um, generally, looking at singular events, you tend to overestimate, right? Because uh, when when you know you you have to think that cardiovascular death and all-cause mortality are relevant to cardiovascular disease. You know, it, it's, it's kind of a um, there's there's frailty hypotheses as well, and there's direct um, you know uh, causal um, relationships as well. You know, in, in this, so by taking into consideration, you tend to generally uh, from in 
they the effect sizes are reduced down. Um, but that's that's important because if you're taking a look at very small effect sizes and you take a look at competing vets, they actually could push your estimators to uh, um, across uh, across the uh, zero range in, in in a lot of senses. So so that that's that's one thing I think um, my work I think mo- more studies should look at. Uh, some of these things, and they're not difficult to implement. It just takes uh, a bit, a bit, a bit more work than your standard survival models and interpretation. So, and the going back to the first part, you mentioned, um, you summarized nicely, James, the um, the supposed and speculative reasons. Um, and I, I think the the discontinuation obviously is a big, uh, is a kind of elephant in the room type of reason, perhaps. Um, but to, to me, the the bit is about how do we get, um, I think the solution you've, you wanted to kind of touch on later, but the, the we'll, which we'll go into, but I think the, the interesting bit is actually that why people are discontinuing I don't think that this study, you know, and we and we know we're just observing this, can really tell us the, you know, whether it's there's something with misinformation or there's something about the communication between uh, the GPs and physicians that are prescribing the statins and the individuals as well. And that really, I, what we're trying to take a look at is a more qualitative approach in in, in our work in that arena. And the second part of it is about the variation in response. And we, we know that there's some variation response because if, if the average uh, in trial evidence is showing us that the average drops of so, someone on torvastatin or the meta-analyses as well, uh, torvastatin 20 is you know anywhere from uh, 30, 35 to 40%. That means that's the average, right? So there's people that are uh, taking it um, and not uh, having that uh, an effective therapy response and there are people that are having much greater therapeutic response and that's interesting to me um, and I think there's some variation there so you can't deny that that occurs because the mean is the mean you know and there's people on very um, various sides of the mean um, and that uh, I don't think we've kind of looked at that in particular yet um, mainly because probably it's quite hard to run a run a GWAS in this area and, yeah, exactly. To see who, um, who might respond and who might not respond. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, things like UK Biobank does, they do offer that opportunity, especially if they um, getting the data linked up to the general practice records. We have some more uh, ability to more deeply phenotype these groups of individuals. Um, and that's certainly something that um, I'm, I'm uh, beginning to take a look at as well. Um, to, to pick on. So there's there's two areas, the variation in the response and then the individuals that are simply discontinuing it due to various reasons. Um, and, th- and they could be side effects um, or the perceived side effects um, because you know it, it doesn't help sometimes that some of the, uh, the community, uh, the bigger backdrop I mentioned in the beginning of the uh, discussion is is there is a bit of a debate about <laughs> the efficacy, you know, and I think the efficacy is is there. It's shown in the trial evidence, uh, but it's more of the interpretation of that um, in in the real world. Um, and the 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 um, dichotomy can of the efficacy and the effectiveness is not always um, understood very well. Um, 
Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, there is, as you say, there's a healthy debate uh, within, uh, so, you know, some fringes of the medical community about the 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 usefulness of statins, certainly for primary prevention, and also the incidence and uh, severity of uh, of side effects, which which may make people discontinue this. But nevertheless, you showed, uh, as you say, it's an observational study that there is, you know, significant increased risk for people who don't manage to reach target. So I just wonder whether we should be monitoring more closely the blood levels of cholesterol in patients who are taking statins or better education uh, about the, you know, the hard proven benefits of statins in this population. I guess it's something that uh, we'll have to uh, we'll have to think about. But I like your idea of linking it with the GWAS data from UK Biobank, another very large prospective uh, trial of uh, seemingly healthy people at baseline. Is that something you're, you're planning to do or you're hoping to do that soon? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, like with any other researchers getting the right funders to fund the work, right? So it's uh, it's definitely certainly where I want to go um, um, and uh, where we'll be definitely working hard towards that goal. Um, the other piece of work I'm also doing is uh, I'm just taking a look at other populations as well um, just to see if this, you know, I have some very interesting cohorts in Asia as well, um, in China that uh, have or in Hong Kong and other places that are large and have a very different kind of prescribing behavior in a way, because um, they're there, and that's that's something I'm I'm testing this particular piece of work in the, those uh, those cohorts as well. Just get some um, international kind of perspective on on this uh, particular um, observation, essentially. Brilliant. Well, we certainly look forward to to seeing the results of those uh, those pieces of work. It's been really good to talk to you. Uh, Dr. Wang, thank you very much for your time. And as I say, the paper is actually open access, so anybody can follow the link in the show notes and and go and read it. And uh, thank you very much for joining me today. 